In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, it is a special joy to preach today. Because after a long hiatus due to COVID-19, we are celebrating two baptisms, one that was at the table service and one now. Baptism is that gracious rite of entry into God's own family in which a person, in this case, William Barr, will be immersed in water to signify his participation in Jesus' own death and come out a newly born person in the resurrected life of Jesus, qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. William, though charming and dear, and I can testify to that, I have babysat William, uh, has done nothing to deserve this elevation in status, but his parents, and godparents and a host of other relatives have claimed it for him through the church. It is nothing less than the precious gift of God's salvation that will mark his life forever. And all of you here will participate as witnesses and as members of William's new and extended family who promise to nurture his life of faith. Well, it's not surprising in God's sovereignty that we have such a very appropriate gospel lesson that we read for this occasion, the one about the Canaanite woman. Because strange as this account is, and we will look more closely at it in a moment, the story points to an important baptismal reality for, I assume, most of us in this room. And that is that while God chose Israel to be his own people and made a special covenant with them that they just get to be born into by natural birth, he hinted throughout the Bible that his intention all along was that his special chosen people would be the instrument for drawing all the rest of the world into relationship with him and would become part of his family through adoption. God works through particularities, not generalities. Israel was a specific people, and they had a specific purpose. They would be a light to the Gentiles. It was never about Israel living in a favored relationship with God that was exclusive and only facing inward. The prophet Micah says, talking about Jerusalem and Mount Zion, which is part of that city, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established and peoples shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. This irresistible beauty 
of God's ways that were to be exhibited in Judaism. They would lure many nations to Jerusalem, to God's house of prayer that Isaiah says would be a house of prayer for all people. Thus says the Lord. The holiness of the Jews would draw people from outside the faith to want to know the God of the Jews. And the Bible gives us many stories of this exact same thing happening. There's the story of Ruth, the Moabite woman who married a nice Jewish boy who unfortunately died. And at that point, Ruth had the option to stay in Moab with her pagan people or to follow her Jewish mother-in-law back to Israel where she had never been. And Ruth chooses to do the latter. I mean, how many of you would follow your mother-in-law to a foreign land? But Ruth did. Because she had been deeply attracted by the God she came to know through Naomi, her Jewish mother-in-law. Ruth says, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Again, in the New Testament, we hear of people called God-fearers, Gentiles who were so drawn by the holiness of Jewish life that they practiced many aspects of Judaism. They were drawn, no doubt, by the scriptures, which describe a God who loves justice and mercy, and by a way of life that looked, well, lovelier than the pagan lifestyle. Lydia, Paul's first convert in Europe, was probably one of these God-fearers. She was a Gentile, attracted by Jewish teaching, who eventually met Paul and was drawn even further to see Jesus as the embodiment, the fulfillment of all she had been attracted to in Jewish scriptures. And I'm sure some of you have had the privilege to be involved uh, in a Seder or in some other ritual life of Judaism, and, and you've been attracted by the God who is worshipped in those, in those rituals, by his goodness, by his holiness. There are other biblical examples, but the point is that God chose Israel to be his people, and they had a purpose, which was to be a light to the world and to draw the world to God. And while there were, as we see, some instances of this happening, it had not fully come about. And now we come to the gospel story, where all of that intended purpose for Israel is funneled down into one Jewish person, Jesus. Jesus is walking on his way to Tyre and Sidon, Gentile country, and he is approached by a shouting person, a Canaanite woman. She says, have mercy on me, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. We know really nothing about this woman except that she calls Jesus Lord, the son of David, which in Matthew's gospel means she recognized him as the Jewish Messiah. 
By that title, she's already signaling that she knows he has been sent to Israel. She knows her outsider status in his eyes. And then here comes the part that is always hard to read, and most especially now. Jesus seems to ignore her. And the disciples tell Jesus to send her away because she's bothering them. And then Jesus says, by way of explanation, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, which, while not exactly warm, is at least understandable. He was sent to the lost sheep of Israel, and there were a lot of them, and his time was limited. He had to have priorities. Earlier, he had left a town while there were still many sick people waiting for him to heal them. But he told his disciples early on the next morning that he had to go to preach the good news in other towns because that was why he was sent. Jesus had a clear mission, and he was sticking to it. But the woman persists and kneels before him and says, Lord, help me. And he answers, it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. You just cannot hear those words spoken today and not interpret them in the context of our time, when the brutal realities of racism and chauvinism are being exposed daily. We hear what Jesus says and we are shocked. There are so many scholarly attempts to soften Jesus' words. Some say he was being the rabbi, setting up the woman to teach his disciples a lesson about true and humble faith. Some have made the case that the Greek word used for dog is actually a special term that refers to a domesticated dog, a beloved pet, who does get fed from the master's table just after the children. So the comment was referring to Jesus' missional timing. It was not meant as a degrading slur. Another interpretation says that even though Jesus was sinless, he was human, and thus subject to the limited cultural bias of his time. I've never really bought that one because it implies that he did not see the woman as fully human, and I just cannot square that with the Jesus that we meet in the Gospels. Well, I'm gonna leave it to you and the Holy Spirit to reconcile this comment because I'm really not fully satisfied with any of these explanations. But what happens next is remarkable, and it is why this strange account made it into the Gospels. The woman says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. There she is kneeling. In the back of our mind, we might hear that prayer of humble access that we pray sometimes at communion, taken from that kneeling woman's lips. And Jesus exclaims, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. That poor child who had been cruelly oppressed by some sort of illness of the spirit 
that confused her mind, that maybe convulsed her body, suddenly free, her true old self again. And there it is, a flash of that brilliant light that was to draw all people to the God of Israel, a light that displayed the healing, merciful activity of God, bursting out beyond the bounds of Israel, not just for that woman, not just for her daughter, but to draw us in, to draw William in today. Just imagine the effect that whole interchange must have had on the disciples, on the woman who, from having been referred to as a dog, then heard Jesus exclaim, great is your faith. And by the way, there was really no higher accolade from Jesus. It didn't, didn't get pronounced much. I don't think his disciples actually heard it very much spoken over them. Well, we the church are to be a light like that moment. People outside the church should see what we do and hear what we say and think. That is good. That looks like justice. Those people really stand up for those who are mistreated, for the disadvantaged. That looks like love. Those people sure do take care of one another and others too. Perhaps, what are those people doing in there kneeling? Wow, what would it be like to kneel before your God? Or, that looks like mercy. Those people, they don't spend energy judging, they spend energy forgiving. I was actually talking to an Episcopal priest colleague of mine, a very learned and compassionate person, and uh, she is black, and she, her blog that she has uh, does biblical teaching and also deals with racism issues, told me, well, Marjorie, you know, I get cussed out every day. I get racial slurs on my page every day. And I said, well, Nicole, I'm kind of a wimp. I said, I don't know that I could deal with that. What do you do? And she said, well, they expect me to return in kind, she said. But I say, bless you. Don't let Satan use you that way anymore. <laughs> We've got work to do, she said, for the kingdom. We've got to move on. I mean, what a beautiful testimony. What a beautiful light to the merciful heart of God that we know in Jesus. What a display of God's attractiveness. Well, we are called to be a light, and we want people to see us and say, I want their God to be my God. In a few moments, we will together renew our own baptismal covenant. And as we say those wonderful words, just be open to the Lord, uh, illuminating that light, to praying that we will display God's love here at St. George's in new ways, in brighter ways, asking God just to fill us so that the shutters go out and the people pass by 
and they say, I want that God. 